Newtown is a special African-American community. With special people. Most of the early arrivals came to Sarasota looking to better their lives. An indomitable spirit emerged out of their struggle, and a strong faith ushered them through many challenges. The Newtown Alive Project recorded oral history interviews to preserve community history and pride. I'm Vicki Oldham. What is your name? Mary Alice Simmons. You all did not have any plumbing. You had no um, bathrooms in the house. Well, where was the bathroom? That was the outhouse. How how far, you know, help us understand the outhouse. How far was it from the house? Maybe 10, 15 feet. Okay. We had no running water. We had pump water. So help me understand that. No running water. So you'd go out to a pump? Yes. To pump some water to, say, wash dishes or wash your hair? Yes. or Do the laundry, yes. And we bathed in that water. If you wanted uh, hot water, you had to heat it. On the stove? On the stove, yes. So how did you heat? Um, was it a wood fire burning stove or how? Electricity? Not at all. We didn't have that either. There were lamps. Lamps? Yes. Okay, Mary, yes. You've got to describe more about what, how you all did the basic necessities well, like cooking. Well, being a child, I, would, I, I, I couldn't be anywhere near a stove. I couldn't touch that. But there were like portable oil stoves. I don't know if they use, I don't know if they use kerosene or what, but certainly we weren't allowed. As far as the light is concerned, we use kerosene lamps and you see them, people using them for camping and stuff. That's what we used for light. The pump was right outside the door. Um, during laundry uh, time, there was a bench for doing the laundry and there were three tubs, wash, rinse, and rinse again. Before Clorox bleach, there was a boil pot, big pot where you would boil the clothes to get them white. There were clothes lines, and you hung up the clothes, dried naturally. Was there a running water, say, in other homes, perhaps? I wouldn't have known that because we weren't allowed to be going from house to house. Okay, so you did not, um, say, fellowship or play with um, white children? No way. They weren't anywhere near. At the time, uh, 10th Street was the boundary for us. We were told not to go any further than 10th Street. I was trying to think of the, the only time I would see white people was when my granny would take me downtown to grocery shop or to go to the five and dime store. What was that experience like then? Always enjoyed it. I, I really enjoyed it. Going shopping with her. Go to the grocery store. You get a taxi to take your groceries home because they would take your groceries in the house for you. And then with the groceries being gone, we would walk down to Main Street and the smell of the peanuts in the five and dime store. I would skip through the Lord's Arcade. I almost cried when they got rid of it. But the Lord's Arcade reached from Main Street to First Street. And there was a station, William Stationery store in there along with Palmer Bank. 
Could you use the restrooms in the stores where you shopped? No, you wouldn't. Well, kids wouldn't ask very many questions. I remember in the ice cream place, and I wanted an ice cream cone. So I asked Granny, Granny, can I have an ice cream cone? She said, yeah, sit here. So she told me to sit on the curb. I never forget the place was Oleander's. And so Granny went in Oleander's and got me, got me an ice cream cone, cone and uh, brought it outside. I looked at her. I looked at the cone, and I looked at the people sitting inside. I don't know why we couldn't go in. But you didn't ask adult questions then. You just did as you were told. Did you need to go to the restroom at, during one of those times when you went downtown and couldn't? The, the only place that we were comfortable going, I was, was the Seaboard uh, Coastline Railroad. And there was a black and white, there were black and white bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the water fountains. That's where we need to go to the bathroom. Then you could go to the train station, as we said. I've heard that story before. Okay. When was um, your first um, connection to someone that was a, a color other than yours or a race other than yours? When? I remember there was something my senior year of high school that we were supposed to be exchanging, not students as such, but we were taken to Riverview to talk to the students there. I'm, I'm not sure of what the subjects were. It was very uncomfortable. Why was it in- uncomfortable? Out of our comfort zone, really. That was the only time, like I said, the, the uh, grocery stores in the community were owned by whites. Uh, the drugstore, as we called it, was on gas station, Altman Chevrolet, and, and of course, Blacks had business. The uh, U.S. Royal Tire was on, but so that that part of uh, exchange—that's that's how we that's how we uh, did on a daily basis. I see. But as far as that socializing, no. When did you socialize with uh, with whites? I think I started socializing. When I moved to Miami, so <laughs> it just wasn't happening here. It was not happening here. How old were you when you moved to Miami? Oh, God, so grown. Um, about 23, 24. So it was basically blacks stayed in one area of the community and there was some sort of boundary. Absolutely. And then whites stayed on their side and never the two mixed that you remember other than the businesses. Okay. You, when did you move to public housing? 1955. How old were you then? My sister was a baby, I was seven or eight. Okay, talk to me about public housing because this was not Overtown anymore right, right. with its houses without um, right. electricity or bathrooms. Exciting. Why? Bathroom, uh, yard with grass, uh, playground, electricity. It's stove and everything. There right now where 17 is, there were sidewalks. That was the other thing, sidewalks. Just better than where we came from. Describe the community and, um, you know, how you interacted in that public housing community. There was a lady lived next door that had a black and white television. So, yes, she was the only one. And she would let the neighborhood kids come in in the afternoon to watch Howdy Duty time. It was exciting. Her name was Miss Ethel Chairs, and she had the kids uh, there. We all came and watched Howdy Doody. We didn't know anything about the television. That was great. Only thing we knew was the movie, you know, but a television and 
different programs, and that was exciting. So, Mary, we were talking about your life in the projects at public housing. You were describing the mornings, seeing the bus roll up. Every morning, including Sundays, the buses were there. The ladies in their white uniforms going to work. That was before urban renewal in Newtown. So all the roads weren't paved until the buses started running. When they finally decided to pave the streets, only the streets that the bus ran on were paved. We walked to school from the projects. No big deal. In fact, we walked everywhere. When it came to us playing, there was a parking lot, but you knew your neighbors. It was much better than from what we had come with the bathroom and everything, we we had grass. And um, when you needed your grass cut, you'd go down to the office and uh, check out the lawnmower manual, and you push that lawnmower. We, these were our chores that we had to do. I've always loved lawn work anyway, working outside, so that's where that started. Has much changed about the look of public housing on Orange Avenue? Since you were reared there? Oh, absolutely. They have, um, I don't know if it's central air and heat, but they have um, air conditioning now. They can park in the in the yards now. Uh, we had a parking lot where everyone had to park their vehicles at uh, one central location. And so certainly they're painted and everything. I'm, I'm sure they've upgraded them. But the, the walls must have been poured with solid concrete because they're still standing. And I understand they were built in 1938. They're still standing. Help me with uh, medical services. None. What did you do when you got sick? Your mother or your grandmother took care of you. Old remedies? Old remedies. What? Do you remember any of them? I remember something called, well, of course, castor oil. Everybody knows castor oil. Um, I remember something called salopatica. Salopatica. I don't know if they still make it. We were always given a laxative once a month. I don't remember having a headache as a kid. Uh, the colds, the um, Father John, everything was done at home. I don't remember seeing a doctor until, my goodness, I was grown. That's how I remember. You shared a story, though, about your dad taking you up under his arms. Tell me that story. Well, I had epileptic seizures. I don't know where they came from. And this is a story from my mother that when I would start having them, Dad would, would take me under his arms and run to the hospital. On foot? That's a couple of miles from, say, Overtown to where Sarasota Memorial Hospital is. Dad was very athletic. He was a boxer. Tell me about your boxer dad. I didn't know. Oh, okay. I don't know very much. I just know that he was a boxer. <laughs> He taught me how to box, <laughs> but uh, he's very, very athletic. So that explains why he could um, yes. take you under his and run. Yes. You have some um, very famous relatives who helped to, who were first settlers here yes. in Sarasota. Yes. So describe them, who their names, and um, and how do you know, you know, their affiliation with Sarasota? Well, for, for the most part, I only know what I read uh, because. I didn't understand why Miss Ethel Hayes called me little cuz. You just responded, that's all. And then talking to my mother, uh, we were related uh, by the Colsons through the girl. Miss Hayes' grandmother was a Colson. And from my understanding, Leonard Reed was already here 
Miss Coleman worked for Miss Gillespie. That's how they that got going. And Miss Coleman was married to Leonard Reed. Yes, yes. And Mrs. Gillespie is John Gillespie. Right, right. And uh, Leonard Reed married Minnie. And right, okay. But as far as no, I didn't know very much about them, and that's still something that I need to find out. I only knew that they would tell. That's your cousin, Ham Colson. That, that's your cousin. When I grew up, all I knew was. Bethlehem Baptist Church. There was also Payne Chapel. But my aunt, my grandma, the family, Bethlehem Baptist Church. When I did research on Papa John Mays, Bethlehem Baptist Church was built the same way as the church that was built in Madison, Florida. Exactly like the church. Uh, Papa was a, a carpenter as well as a fisherman. So exactly rep- replica of a Concordia Church in Madison, uh, Florida. I talked with the lady. She said, you, you, one of those maids, I said, my mother was. She said, did you know that I come from Madison County? I said, yes, yes, I do. She said, well, y'all owned us. I was so embarrassed. I said, what do you mean? She said, you owned us. I did check it out. She, she was right. And that was embarrassing to me. But I, I know there were black slave owners. I know that. So it's one of those things. How did you survive Overtown and, and Newtown to this point? My parents. My parents. That was it. My parents. Mom was always at home. Sometimes dad worked three jobs, but he also had his shop. Always uh, worked. Sometimes, like I say, three jobs. He was a housing inspector one time for the city. My grandpa Mays worked for the city of Sarasota. He worked on a garbage truck. Of the city. What do you envision Newtown's future to be in looking beyond today? You know what I, I've always thought about it. I was working for a lady. I asked, how do, how did Longbokey become Longbokey? You know, how did these cities become? That's what I envisioned for Newtown. I understand we don't have the tax base right now, but I think Newtown should be a town within Sarasota. I think Newtown should have its own mayor, its own police department. If the tax base ever gets there where that can be supported, that's what I look for, Newtown. Why would you like it to be that way? There is nothing about having your own, doing for yourself, just making your own way. There's nothing like it, I I don't think. And it sounds like that's what you all did and had to do in Overtown. Yes, and Newtown um, yes. in the early years, yes. certainly. So you're accustomed to being self-sufficient. Yes. My dad told me that I'm the oldest in my group. And he told me, he said, the only thing that a man has on you is strength. You can do anything you set your mind. I always remember that. I don't. I think the limits you put on yourself. You don't let anybody validate you. You don't let anybody put any boundaries on you. And don't tell me I can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. So I'm, uh, I don't like excuses. Things happen, of course. I don't like excuses. Just go ahead and do it. <laughs> I'm Vicki Oldham, the host of this Newtown Alive podcast series, and my co-host today is Sheila Sanders. We're going to talk about one of her Booker schoolmates, 
Mary Simmons Mack. Sheila, Mary started out an interview talking about her life in Overtown. And I wanted to ask you if you have any recollections of Overtown and what it was like. Very few. My family moved to Newtown in 51. Okay. And since I'm perpetually 29, I don't have a lot of memories of what happened almost 70 years ago. Okay. Okay. Well, Mary told me that um, she came up in a shotgun house. They had an outhouse and they received heat through a wood-burning stove and, you know, there were lamps for light. Do you have any of those recollections in 1955 at all? And before, as I said, we moved to Newtown in 51. There was no electricity in Newtown. There were no paved streets. There were no indoor plumbing. We had outdoor plumbing and we were grateful that we had our own outdoor plumbing. There was no running water. We had a pump. And in in the 1950s, it was half a block away So if you can imagine laundry day when you're carrying half a foot tub full of water because that's all you can manage and filling up a number 10 tub three times to do laundry and doing that laundry on a rub board, okay? And then the whites you're putting in a smoke pot with a little bit of bluing so that they won't yellow on you. All those kinds of things, just those are memories. I remember my grandfather passed in 55, Vicki, and I used to be step by step with my grandfather, especially in the garden. To this day, I know what you plant in rows and what you plant in mounds because of my grandfather. And he taught that to me 60 odd years ago. So yes, I do have a lot of memories. She talked about um, Overtown, and I was remembering Wade Harvin's conversation about Overtown. And he said some of his happiest memories were spent in Overtown. Can you imagine why he why he would have said that? Or even um, Mary Mag. Now, she didn't say her happiest days were in um, Overtown, but she did share some fond memories. For instance, going shopping with her grandmother. She said that there was an imaginary line. At 3rd Street, now Fruitvale. Pick it up. Okay. Well, everything was imaginary at that time because legally you couldn't tell somebody they couldn't go somewhere. That was bad for tourism. And even then, Sarasota was more into tourism than it was into people with pigmentation. So nobody had to tell you not to go. It was just an unwritten rule. You don't cross the street. You don't. Nobody wants to admit that Sarasota was a sundown town. Okay. If you were out in different parts of Sarasota after sunset, you had a lot of explaining to do. And now we have a generation that's never heard of any such thing because we have not taught them what it used to be like. And I don't know why. Now, my four know because their mother made sure that they know, and that way they can appreciate. But you see now as a hardship, at that time would have been considered 
a privilege and a delight. I'm so glad that you brought up Sundown Town. It's right here on my notes, that imaginary line that uh, that Mary mentioned. She said that they would go shopping. She wanted some ice cream in a place called Oleander's. I don't know if you remember Oleander's. And uh, she asked her grandmother if she could have some ice cream. And her grandmother said, sit right there on this corner at the corner. I'll go in there and buy it. And Mary really didn't understand why she couldn't go in there and eat the ice cream like others she saw inside there. Again, an unwritten rule. Bad for tourism. Our tourists don't want to see. Do you know how long it took? You know, we talked earlier when I was talking with uh, Lavender about the beach and a beach boycott. Do you know how offensive it is to be told that our tourists don't want to see your black bodies on our beaches? That was actually said. How was that said? When did you hear that said? Oh, through childhood and even into the 60s. Vicki, you did uh, an interview on Main Street with somebody that still had their black and white water fountains up into the 60s. We had black and white water fountains in the courthouse for Sarasota County when Kennedy was elected in 1960. So saying that Sarasota was a sundown town in the 50s is nothing. We had a lot of rules in the 50s that we no longer have. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Mary said that she didn't really meet um, white children. She didn't really know uh, white children. Now she did have, there were some white business owners in, um, in the Overtown community and maybe even a grocery store that blacks would uh, patronize that was owned by someone white. Do you remember that person? I'm not remembering that grocery store. One of the things that surprised me most was when I went to the grocery store in the mid fifties and I looked around and saw all these fruits and vegetables. And I said to myself, don't these people have gardens? (laughs) Why would you pay for groceries when you can grow groceries? (laughs) Because you guys grew them. Uh, Yes. And we raised chickens. And so we didn't have to Go to the groceries. My father worked at the dairy, so we always had milk. We always had ice cream. Everything dairy we had. He worked at Lando Sun. Mary talked about the difference when she moved to public housing in Newtown, changing over from Overtown, because you figure she lived in a shotgun home and she didn't have those amenities. But you're saying that you didn't really have those amenities in Newtown either. But she was saying that public housing, they had grass. Mm-hmm. They had hot and cold running water. This was again in the 50s. They had electricity. Yes, that was public housing or what we commonly call the projects. And when they came in in the 50s, I think it was around 54 or so when they came in and the neighbors that we had moved to the projects. We were on Osprey Avenue and my family still owns property on Osprey Avenue in Newtown. Suddenly a lot of people that had lived in Newtown or lived in Overtown as they moved to the projects, suddenly they had more convenience than they ever imagined. But nowhere in the projects did they put or set up for heat because to heat their water, they had to wait for the sun to come out. They had that kind of hydro heat. So if there was no sunlight, the water never got above warm. I'm remembering also that Mrs. Smith, Dorothy Smith, said that when she came, she lived in public housing. That was the place to be, it sounds like, you know, for 
people who wanted a nice place to live, public housing doesn't have that same perception now. Not so much, but there were families. See, it wasn't, we didn't have a lot of single parent households then. And we now have a lot of single parent households, but families, father, mother, children, maybe grandmother, all lived in public housing together. And nobody had to have their own room, if you will. (laughs) And now they're saying all, all these new rules, children deserve this, children deserve that. Well, what you had is what your parents could afford. And we were so poor, all we could pay was attention. We didn't know we were poor. So I can imagine Wade saying some of his far fondest memories were from Overtown because what child thinks they had a bad childhood? Whatever you had in childhood, if you had a stick and a can, that was your drum, okay? If you had a cart made from a soda bottle case, okay, and you had a stick, that was your car. So we may do with things that would offend others because, and we thought it was great because we had joy, it wasn't a matter of so much being happy. It wasn't so much a matter of having what others had. It was a matter of gratitude and joy. If you have joy, everything else sort of falls into place. And we had joy as children. Sheila, I think you preaching, girl. <laughs> Something about the difference teacher. between joy and happiness? Yes, ma'am. Light years. Light years apart. Talk to me about uh, medical services. Because... Mary did uh, talk about medical services and how it was very sketchy. Well, in the 50s, when the polio vaccine came out at what was then the projects, they had a medical section and everybody could go and get vaccinated for polio. Now, if you have ever known somebody that suffered with that iron lung, okay? And I only knew a couple of people that were in the iron lung in my lifetime, but that was not a pretty sight, a machine breathing for them. And everybody was anxious to get that vaccine. And then you also had the MMR, mumps, measles, rubella, polio. We had about five different vaccines that were available. And all we had to do was go and stand in line and get vaccinated and get a card. So we did that. If the vaccine, if they said come back in two weeks, three weeks, whatever the schedule was, come back next month, six weeks, we followed the schedule. But we got all of our vaccinations. And suddenly, fewer people were having chicken pox, fewer people were having the measles, and people with who did contract polio were on crutches or maybe a wheelchair, but nobody had to go on the iron lung anymore. Do you remember the uh, barracks on the side of Sarasota Memorial Hospital where Blacks were treated? And then they could go to one floor of Sarasota Memorial Hospital. Fortunately, I come from a healthy family. or As the old folks would see, I come from good stock. <laughs> so we didn't spend a lot of time at uh, the hospital or in need of hospital services. We did have a pediatrician and our pediatrician took care of us on an annual basis. On an annual basis, once you hit the ripe old age of five, you got your ears checked, your eyes checked, and your teeth checked 
once a year. And I thought that was about starting school and not exposing everybody else to whatever was ailing you. (laughs) Do you remember castor oil? Castor oil, cod liver oil, and castoria once a week. Yes, ma'am. What? Yes, ma'am. What was that for? Keeping those things that you don't want away. I can remember china berries and a tea made of china berries. Do you know what a china berry tree is? Those little red? um... No, china berries are green. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And uh, the uh, rock candy, if you had a cold, different little things. Home Somebody remedies. older than me would, would, would help you out there, Vicki. So, interestingly, some of the people did talk about the home remedies. Like Dr. Harriet Moore's mom talked about turpentine, cotton balls, and cobwebs. Mm-hmm. That would solve everything. Cob- cobwebs would stop the bleeding on anything instantaneously. You don't even need a bandage. And everybody has spiders somewhere. If they weren't in the house, they were on the porch. But I can't imagine stuffing a wound with enough, with a, with a, that much cobwebs in order to stop You just have to stuff it. You just put it on, just lay it on there. It would coagulate and stop bleeding. Turpentine, a teaspoon of turpentine with a little bit of sugar was a cure-all for a lot of ills. Fortunately, if you knew that you were going to have to have these things and you didn't want these things, you washed your hands and you stayed as healthy as you could. But when you have an outhouse and no basin of water right there, you got to go from the outhouse all the way to the porch to wash your hands. You do a good job washing your hands. I'm going to pivot to Mary's relationship to the uh, Leonard Reed family. She says that, um, you know, she is in their family line. And so I know that you have a story that you share about Mrs. Ethel, Ethel uh, Reed. Yeah, Miss Ethel Reed Hayes. Ironically, there were three children and none of them had children. Right. Well, I thought it was, I I read it was four. Um, Ethel, Viola, Rayfield, and James. Okay. Rayfield, I never knew. The other three I did know. Okay. Okay. I remember James, the brother. I remember Miss Viola and I remember Miss Hayes. Miss Hayes was my first grade teacher and a dear woman. She always was. Very easygoing. And I think part of my manner that I have with children, I picked up on from Miss Hayes and also from Miss Olivia Jackson, who was my first Sunday school teacher. And they would both speak softly and look directly at you when they were talking to you. And they talked to you, not at you. And I have always treasured that, an adult. And ironically, I found out that they were not as old as I thought they were when they passed away. Based on their ages, they were not old, Vicki. They were much younger than I am now, but I thought they were old. So it's all a matter of perspective. But a lot of influence because they would look at you and talk to you. And that made a big difference to me. What is um, Mary's legacy, do you think? She, uh, She came back here. She worked for the Bulletin with Mr. Jackson. She was a community worker for, for many years. Now, she stepped back uh, now. What do you remember about her activism? And She found herself, if you will, I would say, 
She was very quiet in school, very quiet. She was never outspoken about anything when we were in school. And Booker, we had Booker Elementary, we had Booker Junior, Senior High School. So seven through 12 was on one campus and first through six was on another campus. And some of the people who were most active had a family of other people who were active. And most of the people who were active at school were active at church or somebody in their family was. Her parents were not active, active. They were good, solid Christian folks. <laughs> I remember which church they attended. But um, Mary, Mary's been working in the community. You know, she with found her. herself. Mm-hmm. She found herself. What do you and, mean by and, that? Going from a quiet person to seeing something that needed to be done and filling a void. That's what I mean. She found herself. She looked at the situation, said something needs to be done. If not me, then who? That's what I mean by she found herself. Suddenly she had courage where there had been none. And she thought, this I can do. Not only can I do, I will do. She found herself. And I think that's her legacy. It's never too late. You can evolve, change. If you be the change you want to see, I think that's her legacy. Funding for this program was provided through a grant from the Division of Historical Resources at the Florida Department of State. Visit NewtownAlive.org for more information on this episode and other projects.